Welcome to Wrap It Up Sports Medicine and More, the podcast that gives you a viewpoint on sports medicine that can't be found anywhere else. I'm your host, Eli Halleck, and we have a fantastic show ahead of us today. So let's get started. And with that, we'd like to welcome our first guest, Dietrich Riley. A little bit about Dietrich that we do know. He is a former uh, high school All-American athlete, football player. He went on to play uh, UCLA football team where he had a stellar career until unfortunately there was a uh, dramatic life-altering injury that we'll discuss a little bit today. He's moved forward in his career both uh, uh, using his uh, characteristics that he developed in football, his stunning good looks, and uh, his brain to where he is today. And we're going to be talking to him about who's coaching your kid. We know today that Dietrich is a coach. He does it for fun. He volunteers for the youth. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, Dietrich, welcome. Nice to have you, buddy. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Thank you. So we also have with us today, Gabriel Halleck, a former high school and uh, youth football coach. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here. And also our usual contributor, or will be usual contributor, uh, Joel Dorney, high school athletic trainer. He has been the head athletic trainer at uh, a couple of high schools and is a fantastic colleague. Thank you for having me. So today, uh, Dietrich, first off, it's been a pleasure knowing you uh, for several years now. We've known each other, God, 10, 15 years. It's been wonderful watching you develop into the young man you've become. Um, who, uh, who is your, to start off, what characteristics did you admire growing up uh, in coaches? I would say number one is leadership being able to handle, you know, kids from all different walks of life, different personalities. And number two, having the patience because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, how, you know, I volunteer and do coaching myself nowadays, just being able to step into that role. And it doesn't matter how athletic you were or how good of a player you were, but in order, because at the end of the day, it's all instinctual as you're playing, you know, but when you have to put your shoes into, put your feet into the shoes of an, the athlete or the, you know, the, uh, the person that you're coaching, it's much different. You have to kind of simplify into ABC terms rather than, you know, when you're playing, you're just out there. It's been, it's like muscle memory. It's like riding a bike. It's just doing something that you're so familiar with. So, you know, just to be able to receive information in a much clearer, you know, perspective, but also being able to, you know, also, you know, translate it out there to others. You know, that's one thing I always admired, like from the likes of, you know, Coach Bonds and my, all my other previous coaches, just being able to, you know, going down in the game, facing adversity or whatnot, being able to rally up, you know, your team and also being able to, like, push out a message so everyone can receive it well. But I would definitely say, you know, patience and leadership are, you know, the two, you know, two traits that stick out to me for coaches. At a uh, young age, I presume people identified you as a uh, pretty decent athlete. About uh, what time frame do you remember kind of figuring out athletics was something you excelled at, something you were good at, but at the same time, something you loved? Uh, I would say from 
uh, when I was about, you know, five or six years old, you know, my, my, my mom had gotten me the San Francisco 49ers uh, full pads. She gave me like the helmet, the shoulder pads, the whole uniform. And I just remember getting in a three point stance naturally. That's when I knew just football was just something I, you know, I was enamored with. But in terms of, you know, on the athletic standpoint, I was a late bloomer. Um, you know, growing up, I was always physical. You know, I was always, you know, my first my first year of tackle was a humbling experience, to say the least, because in flag football, you know, I was, you know, a free safety. I was a receiver. I did it all. And then when I got to my first year in tackle, what they do? Hey, son, we need you to put your hand in that dirt. I was an offensive lineman my first year of tackle. I was they a, stuck you on the line. Stuck oh. me on the line. I was a left tackle. And then I also was a uh, I was a defensive end mm. or tackle. Sorry, um, I was more of like a hybrid. So I thought I was going to come out and be a skilled player because the year before, you know, in black football, I had about nine interceptions. And here I am having to you know play with guys that are older than me as well. But, you know, uh, much more athletic. But that also instilled the confidence and toughness in me. You know, being able to put my hand in the dirt, play with guys that are older than me. I was always the youngest on each and every team. So as I, you know, went from, you know, uh, Gremlin all the way up to Junior Pee Wee to Pee Wee to Junior Midget, Midget, I was always playing against, you know, guys that were older than me. So it just made me tougher. And then around eighth grade is when I knew I was starting to, like, kind of, like, take off. That's when I started, you know, my my workouts have gotten gotten more, you know, tougher. I started working with, you know, personal trainers. And then I went on to go to the Junior Olympics for track and field to Hershey, Pennsylvania. And then that's when I, you know, after that year in Pop Warner, my last year in eighth grade, that's when I, you know, coaches would come up to me and, you know, opposing teams would come up to me and tell me, like, yo, man, you're special. Like, I could definitely see you playing at the next level. And then, you know, when I got to high school, it was just, uh, I, you know, just wanted to just take – take advantage of the God-given talents that I was, you know, presented. But like I said, I was a late bloomer. You know, I was never the most, most skillful player growing up. I was, <laughs> I was always told, you know, you got a, you got a slow two-step. <laughs> I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't the fastest. Slow two-step, man. I never saw you be slow. So uh, <laughs> that, that's kind of funny, but we've got some good stories about your high school career and we've always discussed them, but yeah. um you know, kind of cool to know that you started out playing Pop Warner and worked your way up. Mm-hmm. And in that time frame, I- I'm sure you came across a ton of coaches in your career. And uh, some of them looking out for your best interest, but not always. And that's kind of one of the things that concerns, I know, Joel and myself in what we do in healthcare as uh, certified athletic trainers, that there's not always somebody out there looking out for the kid, looking out for the athlete. Um, Did you ever experience that situation where something happened either to you or one of your buddies on the team and you knew something wasn't right, yet that that coach was uh, pushing him to play or pushing him to get back in when even you as a, a, a young kid knew it just wasn't a good situation? Absolutely. Like, you know, just to rewind, like I was saying, back to Pop Warner, I just, you know, you're young, you're naive, you're just out there having fun with your friends. But for some reason, you know, the drills we were doing, even as, like I said, at a young age, they 
I would just think twice about it. I'm like, wow, well, there's an unfair advantage to one of the players. Like, we will always do a tackling drill. It would be a two versus one. Two defenders were about 10 yards apart. So you have two defenders literally going to go head up with a ball carrier. So look, doing drills like that, for example, I'm like, there's no way, you know, as you get older, you go to high school, you go to the next level, you're doing a drill like that, you know. And I would just see kids getting laid out left and right. And I'm just, you know, luckily I was able to hold my own if I was a, if I was a ball carrier or, you know, on the tackling end. But just seeing that drill from a, like from a, from a young, from a young mental state, of mine I just was sometimes I would question it and I was just like all right I guess they're just trying to make us tougher I don't know but I would just see I would see kids like I said that were just getting you know have get carried off the field and guess what they're back hitting the next day in practice you know and those are little things like that like that wouldn't fly in today's society because back then we were just told to just buckle up your chin strap and guess what go play scratch off a bruise so I just I love to see where the game is heading now. Um, there's pros and cons to it, but I do like to say that I like to I like to say that they're looking out for players, you know, health and safety. But um, it's back then, like I said, it was just tons of drills we were doing that just it it, it didn't look out for the players, and I could see it. It really I don't, and that's probably why it may have taken a toll on us as we gotten older. Is one of those drills? If I can jump in real quick, Dietrich um oklahoma yeah that that was oh, yeah, oh. we did oklahoma but i'm saying this one literally because the oklahoma you got the offensive alignment going against the d alignment then you had the ball carrier and the defender back and then they have just you know sometimes the defend you know the d lineman will kind of fight off the offensive lineman and guess what they mm -hmm. would tackle but this one was specifically a ball carrier just literally a ball carrier yeah running straight at two defenders like literally like just trying to split them and so, so two on one Two on one and four, <laughs> or, or two on one or three on one. It depended, you know, if, if I can jump in, you know, it depended on who the coach was and that coach's boot. I remember when I was a freshman, I didn't play youth football um, until I got to high school. And, yeah. you know, I could go on for days about the, the quality of coaches that I had um, yeah. when I was a freshman, but that'll go to the, that'll be in our, our grievance episode podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just remember the coaches picking out the little guys and having them go up against the big guys and lining up, oh, yeah. you know, everybody, there was a, on our freshman team, there was approximately, you know, maybe let's, let's say, let's round it off at a hundred kids, you know, half of them have never played before. Um, I was one of those half and they picked the biggest kid, oh, yeah. put them up against the littlest kid oh, and, yeah. they'd, and they'd go at it and then they'd giggle and they'd have the little kid or the big kid do it again. Of course. And it, it's just, yeah. And then it's it's like back then, like in Pop Warner, and I don't know why my mom didn't come, you know, across and, you know, whack me up against the side of the head. But Because if anybody's I, mother would have. She would have done it. It would have been yours. Yeah, right. definitely, but definitely. this is how this this is how the kids used to think back then. I don't, like I said, they're not doing it nowadays. And we would compare at the end of the practice who had the most stick marks on the helmet. We would go up. Oh, yeah. Let me see your helmet. Oh, man, you're not hitting hard enough. Oh, you're not hitting. And sometimes we'll try and bang each other's helmets across. Just, you know, just holding the helmet. You got one guy that would just do it. And we're just looking at each other like, man, we. I'm trying to have the most stick marks because that's going to make me come off as more as a, more intimidating to my opponent. Uh -huh. 
And I, it's so funny. I would watch the NFL games and not even knowing that they would paint their helmets and stuff. But I would just look at their helmets and I'm like, wow, they're not using their helmets? Like, they're not, they must not be hitting hard enough. Like, they're not really tough hard. in the NFL. No, not I, at all. I remember, I remember one kid, he had a crayon and he would put the marks on the front of his helmet before <laughs> the games. Oh, yeah. So the other team would think he's harder than they are. Oh, yeah. And they might go slower. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. It's just the things we were doing back then. It was just so backwards. But um yeah, it's uh it's crazy to see how the game, like I said, has progressed. And I'm just glad to see that, you know, it's minimal days and pads and things like that. And I'm sure I'm sure we'll probably get into that later on. But um yeah, it just never if it didn't favor the athletes. Now, as you started going through Pop Warner up into high school, obviously uh I've got a little more knowledge about your high school experience, mm -hmm. but um, did you notice a, a change or a difference in the coaching level, coaching attitude, or knowledge, and uh, how they took care of business? It's night and day, and um, I would I would say I kind of got a little bit of a introduction into, like, film and things like that from my flag football coach that I played with, recre recreational so I was doing flag football and tackle in the same the same season. And I guess that's what made me so, you know, competitive and also kept me in shape. But my coach kind of like we were on Mondays, we would watch Monday night football and he would kind of like break down X's and O's. So that kind of got me familiarized with the game. But then when I got to high school, I'm like, wait, we actually have to watch film? Like then my co you know, our coaches, you know, Coach Bonds and Coach Gibbons. We were, you know, rather than sitting at the lunch tables, being able to enjoy your lunch and stuff. No, we're in a classroom and we're breaking down film. Then also, not only that, once we're done with film right before practice, oh, we're getting scouting reports. So this was just, a, I'm, you know, 14 years old on the varsity level and having to read a scouting report about who we're going against. So it's not just about, oh, let me just, you know, go out there and try and you know, finesse it and just try and just go off of a, a skill, you know, skill level and try and, you know, you know, outperform my opponent. No, you need to know, need to know it on the actual, like a, the grand scheme of things on how to prepare for your opponent. So it makes the game much easier. And as I notice, each and every week, I've gotten, I gotten more and more smarter and I will, you know, spend time with our coaches and ask questions but it was just all about the preparation. It's not just about what you see on the final product on the field that Friday night. It's all about what goes into it, you know, having to do a, a offensive, defensive scout teams and things like that. I'm like, I wasn't used to that. You know. So, so what you're saying right now is you're breaking the stereotype that football players are actually smart. Oh, man. That's what you're saying. You got to study. <laughs> Some are. You Some gotta... are. Some are. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've had some teammates, even on the, on the collegiate level, that didn't watch an ounce of film. And guess what? They were having to fall right into an interception, being in the right place, right time. Uh, but not, uh, you know, that's just some players can be freakish like that. Just just, you know, it's all about it's, it has some luck involved into it. But, yeah, you definitely have to watch a lot of film and know what you what you have to do, because at the end of the day you break assignment. Guess what? The team is going to they'll find that. And you got the coaches up there you know, with those binoculars and things like that. And they're willing to, you know, find the weakness and the holes in the, in the offense or defense. So looking back, your high school career, you, you uh, did fairly well. Uh, good career, 
both academically and on the field, uh, high school All-American, and USC comes calling. Coach Carroll comes knocking on your door, and he was at, God, I couldn't keep track of how many games. He stood there at the goalpost watching you play. St. Paul, my senior year. Yep. I remember that. Just stood there the whole game watching you. He was he was all in. Yeah. And um, what did you like about Coach Carroll at that time? Because I know you were leaning to USC. Sorry, uh, all our Bruin fans, but um, you were you were really leaning to SC and Coach Carroll. What was it about him as a coach? Uh, I know I've read a lot about him, but never met him. So, what was it about him that really made you want to play for him? Well, funny story, I'll never forget. Um, our first, I was going to the camps in seventh grade. So it felt like he was family, him and his whole staff. I mean, the whole staff, offense, defense, special teams. Like I said, they watched me grow up and ascend into, you know, the man I was becoming. So, like I said, it was a family atmosphere, number one. It was just a comfort. You know, I was spending all my summers there at all the camps. And so I was able to understand their coaching style, understand, you know, the the excellence that he demanded, but he made it fun. You know, whether, you know, before our camps, he would come in, everyone's shirts off, everyone's waving their towels, everyone's going crazy. So I'm like, man, if they're, I could, now it makes sense why they're able to have the success you know, with, with his team, because it all begins with a family atmosphere. You're having fun. It's just not, you're just going out there to, you know, oh, I need to go out to practice. Like I'm, you're dreading the whole experience. Like, no, you look forward to, you know, these, these moments. And then also everything was, I had a theme, whether it was turnover Tuesday, he made it to, so when you got to the game, it wasn't going to be overwhelming, but he was just straightforward with me, you know, and I, I never, like, you know, my, I always loved offense. I love having the ball in my hands. I love just, you know, Reggie Bush, um, all those players, Adrian Peterson. So I always envision myself scoring touchdowns. And um, I'll never forget my sophomore year, going into my sophomore year, I'm literally lined up to run the 40-yard dash. And I ran, what, about a four or five. And then he was like, what position are you? What, what, are, you, what are you going into this season? I was like, I'm going to play running back. And him and – uh, it was uh, Coach Rocky Settle. They were like, I think for the second half of the camp, you should move over to the defensive side of the ball. And that landed me a scholarship offer because, you know, Coach Carroll, he loves deep, he loves defensive backs. He loves tall ones. He loves the fast, long They've got to be at ones. least 5'11 or higher, about exactly. 100, 195. Yeah. yeah, I know it's tight. He's yeah, yeah. and you're yeah. it. Man. Tall, you know, skinny, you know, you know, long stride. Like I said, you know, he just he wants his physical corners. He has a particular style, like a Richard Sherman type. And he didn't tell me to go to safety. He wanted me to go to corner. And um, that was our that was the interaction. Like I said, it led to me getting receiving a scholarship offer that day, and uh, it was exciting. But yeah, man, Pete Carroll, he was he was family. Yeah, I remember when you came back to camp sophomore year. And they had moved you to DB and all of a sudden you started hitting. And as an athletic trainer, Joel and I will sit there and go, Oh, okay. Here's another kid. Oh, okay. Here's another kid. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. When you wrapped up and you know, that was always my thing with you wrap up. 
when you wrap up and hit somebody, oh my God, it was beautiful. I loved, and this is horrible as an athletic trainer to say, I liked watching you hit because it was so textbook and the velocity you came through. It almost reminded me in going back to Gabe, one of his favorite players, Ronnie Lott, how you would just put a you know you bullseye on somebody them. and go right through them and wrap up and drive them to the ground. And uh, I love that your sophomore year. I vividly remember watching you sophomore year, just wrapping up, just bringing people to the ground, textbook, perfect. Uh, there's no doubt why you wouldn't get a scholarship when a coach sees that. So yeah. that, that was a lot of fun to watch back in those days. And like you said, wrapping up and taking the extra step. Los Altos, i never forget that game, man. We had, it was the running back was Bryce McBride. He was fast as a lightning bolt, short, compact running back. I remember just watching that film leading up to that week. And I'm like, I got my work cut out for me. Like I was, you know, had, had some, you know, butterflies going into that game because he was big. He was physical. He was so fast. I mean, agility was second to none. And I just remember I'm at free safety and I was coming down. And I just remember, I'm just like, hey, I have nothing to lose. And I was just coming up. I was just lighting them up. And I remember I ended up, you know, just coming. It was one of my favorite tackles and favorite plays to this day. I just, he was going down his left, he's going, literally, he's, he did a tall sweep. And I literally, I'm on their sideline. And I just literally go, it was the most perfect angle tackle like, my helmet wasn't involved. It was all shoulder, and I just ran through him. I like how you say there was no helmet involved. I no helmet that. involved. Yeah, but I, I appreciate that. No helmet involved. And I just remember I did that about two plays in a row, and I was just like, oh, yeah, this is my game right here. And then also there was another play when they threw a quick screen to their, you know, they had, they had a, a jittery slot, a slot receiver that was so – he was very quick as well. And I remember I broke his ribs. And I, it was one of those plays that I didn't wrap up, but I was like, I took the extra step and I just ran through him and put my forearm into his rib and broke his rib and he's down for the rest of the game. But yeah, it was it was some plays I left on that field that game. But those are some highlights I, you know, from those plays that stuck out for me just with perfect technique and just, you know, knowing knowing my angles, knowing what my help was as well. Now I know you say uh, uh, Hitchy Love and Los Al. I remember that game really well. But there's one hit that anybody talks about you they always remember yeah and that's the uh one you knocked the helmet off the running back at i believe it was oregon state um yeah. you just got that guy on that sideline and he knew he ran into dietrich riley when that happened you can watch that over and over and over and i believe it was uh espn was going nuts for that hit so uh, do you remember that one at all I do. And for that to be my biggest highlight of my career, it didn't feel like it. Meaning when I hit him, it didn't feel hard at all. Like I just was just like one, you know, my, my chin strap came unbuckled a bit, but like I said, when I hit him, it just felt like I tapped him. Cause it was, I don't know how it was the perfect shoulder placement. There was no helmet involved, of course, but I don't know how that led to that you know, that, that impact and for his helmet to fall off. Cause like I said, when I hit him, I got up and I was just like kind of confused. And, it, and if you see the highlight, it looks like I'm standing over him a bit, but I'm just like, all right, I see his helmet is off. Like, how did that just happen? But like, it literally, it was just the angle and, you know, thank God to my corner. I always tell him, you know, to this day when I see him, I was like, yo man, you're a reason why I had this, this play because he, and you can't do this anymore. 
but he had a pulling a pulling lineman coming at him. He literally blew up the play, chopped the chopped the lineman, and that forced the running that forced the quiz Rogers to jump, and that's what led me to having that hit. But um, yeah, man, like I said, it didn't feel like it was a big hit. It's crazy. That was a hell of an impact. I, I was watching that video last night, actually, yeah. um, just reliving some moments that we watched you play. Yeah. Now, when you got when you did uh, decide UCLA, Coach Carroll goes to uh, Seattle, uh, where he's just leaving now. Unfortunately, I know uh, a lot of players. There's a lot of talk. They're all disappointed about him leaving that program just because of the person he is. Right. You go to a coach that has a great reputation. Um, and a great coaching staff. What was your experience with them? At UCLA, um, it was up and down my freshman year because, you know, I was coming in expecting to play a pivotal role, but I had to really put my pride and ego aside because I had to learn how to watch film, not blow assignments, because that was the only thing that was holding me back from being a starter as a freshman was you know, um, I was making great plays in practice, but guess what? I was blowing a lot of assignments. So I had to learn how to really watch film. And I did not know how to do that. I was just watching, oh, okay, all right, yeah, this player's doing this. All right, cool. Yeah, this guy's fast. This guy isn't. This is where the weaknesses are. But really understanding the X and O's, the schematics, and really understanding down and distance personnel, 12 personnel, 11 personnel, 13 personnel, 22 personnel. So it was so many things I did not understand and I had to really just ask questions. But um, like I said, my freshman year was up and down. But as the season went along, the coaches realized, like, all right, he's starting to catch on to it. We could start throwing him in more packages. And <laughs> funny story, my first start was at Oregon, Thursday night showdown. This is their national championship team. They have, you know, LaMichael James. They have Jeff Mayo. They have uh, Kenyon Barner. This is the team that went on to play, you know, um, Auburn in the national championship versus Cam Newton. Chip Kelly was there. And their tempo was so fast. And I'm, you know, like I'm when I was going in on nickel packages, not base. So when it's nickel, I'm running in, I'm the safety. We slide our other safety down to nickel, boom. And like I said, their tempo was so fast. And I literally, I'm running to the boundary because I'm coming from the far side, far side of the, of our sideline. And I'm trying to like look over to our sideline. I missed the play call because their tempo is so fast. Nowadays, guess what? You're able to do substitution, right? Back then you couldn't. So it always favors the offense. So I, as I'm getting to the side, running to my spot to get lined up, I missed the call. I'm supposed to be man on Jaqu on Jaqu or on LaMichael James. He runs a swing pattern, breaks for 40 yards. Guess what? I get pulled for the rest of the game. Little things like that. But I just have to kind of like, you know, take it. Take it with a grain of salt, man. But um, little moments like that, man. I was like, all right. Sometimes I just gotta, I gotta prepare better, or the coaching staff gotta be realistic and help me out, you know. But uh, yeah, man. It was my freshman year's rocky. We came in four and six, and I'm seeing all my other peers go to other schools and excel. I'm on, you know, I'm on the same recruiting trip as uh Tyron Matthew at LSU. He's, you know, the MVP for his bowl game versus Texas A&M. I'm seeing all my other guys at you know Oklahoma ball out, and I'm like, all right, I'm here in a rotation, you know, not starting. So I had to really, it was, it was kind of disappointing my freshman year. I had high expectations and didn't fulfill them. You see that going on. Uh, they do that little route, 40 yards. He's gone. Um, and you think back to Pop Warner, think back to high school, think back to now college. 
what was the reaction of the coaches to you pop warner versus high school versus college how did they coach you up because they had to do something uh to make you a better athlete now i'm sure some of them yelled some of them screamed someone some of them were better at educating you than others what are some of the uh horror stories of the coaches that didn't quite coach you up versus say those coaches that did it was always the coaches that were the you know i learned best from coaches that challenged me but that were not trying to be you know uh how would I say it? They weren't just trying to humiliate and embarrass you. You could tell if the coaches have your the players' best interests by how they instruct and how they teach. Rather than just, you know, yelling at a kid and pulling him out, no, pull the kid aside and tell him what he did wrong or what thing what he needs to be what needs to be corrected. And I kind of, you know, I you know, I, I admired those coaches like a coach Bonds that was able to, he'll get on you. He holds you to a high standard, right? He's going to hold you accountable. But at the same time, he's going to tell you, all right, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to improve on. Guess what? Go back out there. Show me what, you know, improve on your mistake. Now, if you're going to keep making mistakes, guess what? Your playing time is going to, is that, I'm, I'm going to take that away from you. And I've also had coaches, you know, prior to coach bonds that were just like i said they were trying to be in your face cuss you out yell at you and stuff like that just to think that it's going to make you tougher but you know every every kid is different like i have thick skin i never take the i never take it personal i hear the message i don't hear the tone so you yell at me as hard as you want do all that stuff but guess what i'm listening to what you're saying so i could take that on and apply it to you know the next play but um then when i got to college you know Jim Moore, man, like he was incredible because he was all about, you know, he was a player's coach, but sometimes people throw that around loosely, player's coach, because they think player's coach, he's trying to be your best friend. Oh, let's go. Hey, let's have fun. No, player's coach is meaning he under, he understands the game from a player's lens, but also he's looking out for his players in terms of you practice hard, I'll compensate you with, you know, we'll be on this field for an hour and guess what we're off the field we're not going to be out here for two and a half hours he looked out for the players he heard us he always you know from the, the captains of the defense captains of the offense for each position group he would want to hear us out all right what are things we can improve on whether it's from the uniforms whatever it may be what can we do differently but um yeah man i've always admired the coaches that could really just you know have the patience to teach the players you know not just yell at them because at the end of the day i understand your job is on the line as a coach but being able to, you know, lead in the right way. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand that. Uh, all of us have seen the coaches that do it the right way, do it the wrong way. Yeah. Um, I've seen coaches screaming at kids uh, where we've actually, as an athletic trainer, had to step in between the coach and the kid and pretend we were, I don't know, built a Kevlar and take it. Because no kid should, no kid should have to deal with what some of the athletes do. Um, I, I can remember a football coach from oh geez, it's it's over twenty five years ago, and he was going off about a kid who had a dislocated and fractured finger. How he needed to get back in the game, get back in the game, get back in the game. This is a a sophomore junior, and just going nuts on him, 
And I stepped in. I'm like, no, surgery. This is surgical. You can tell. And um, he physically threatened me. Yeah. Cocked his hand back, went to punch me. And I said, you know, go right ahead. I'll own your house. <laughs> and he was huge. He was a former D1 linebacker. Yeah. I'm thinking, man, if he makes contact, I, I'm done. I'm yeah. absolutely done. He's going to knock me out. All the players are going to have seen it. I'm never going to live it down. He'll be in jail. But hey, I got his house, so that's okay. Um, it, it amazes me sometimes some of the stuff that coaches say to these kids, whether it's Pop Warner, high school, or, you know, you hear stories about college. I'm not in the college uh, level anymore, but you see it, you hear it, you know it, and you hear it from athletes. They generally don't lie. Um, right. But then you turn around and now you're a coach. And how do you interact with those kids or how do you help a coach that maybe doesn't have that skill set? It's so funny you ask that because I never ever would imagine myself, you know, stepping into the coaches, the coaches world, but I want to make sure my players or, you know, the kids that I work with are disciplined yet. I'm very, if they make a mistake, I'm very mindful on how, you know, if, if they do something that's, you know, that can affect the team or whatnot, it's a difference between implementing dif discipline or just yelling just to be just to be heard. You get what I'm saying? So I would have to, rather than humiliate and embarrass a kid, you know, say they make a mistake, I'll pull the kid aside, have a sub go in, tell him what he did wrong, and then guess what? Give him a chance to go out there and redeem himself. And I'm just not... I guess because I've learned to become so patient as I've gotten older, but I just, I, I like to just, you know, lead by lead differently because everyone has their own different coaching styles, you know? And also I'm very mindful about the parents around because these parents nowadays are on a, they're different. They're not, they're not how they were back then. Like our parent, our parents. We have no idea what you're talking about. Huh. We're gonna Absolutely we're gonna save not. that conversation for the podcast. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> I believe uh, uh, Joel would agree. There's absolutely nothing. You oh can say my gosh, yeah. that's negative. Towards I'm, I'm gonna mute myself before because I say something. We have certain. We have some parents that you know they bring their kid out. Oh, my kid's a quarterback. Then they can't complete an out route or a slant. But guess what? My kid is a quarterback. All right, fair enough. But like I said, I'm just. I'm always just. Is I, I like for making continuous mistakes. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure you know we you know we we pay for it. We're gonna go out there. We're gonna run some wind sprints. Yeah, we're gonna learn from our mistakes. We're gonna teach you guys. But at the same time, we're not just about to be out there and just be you know nutcases. Because guess what? These coaches nowadays, you would think that it's all for them. All right, we win this game. We're reacting as if we're playing. Like no, put our days are far gone. Like, it's all about the kids at the end of the day. I want to make sure the kids are having fun because if I'm continuously, you know, picking on the same kid or whatnot or yelling at these kids, that could that could make them no longer want to play again. And I don't, I don't want to be that coach. I won't, That won't sit well with me. So are you saying that some coaches actually are living their dream through some of the kids still playing? Uh -huh. I, I find that hard to believe. I, I never see that. <laughs> oh, hey. I'm telling you, man, it's it's crazy. I've seen it all in these, especially this the seven on seven world today. Like, I'm like, first of all, this is new, right? It just had started to like grow and prosper when I was in high school, my sophomore year. But 
Yeah, the 707 world, man, it's it's giving false enthusiasm to these coaches. And you would, like I said, you would think they were playing. I'm like, hey, sit down aside. Unless you want to go tit for tat, let me see your game footage. If you were actually that guy, then we'll talk. But I've had coaches, you know, kind of like bit, you know, chip at us from a distance, but we've always carried ourselves differently because one of we understand where we're at and we understand like as far as far beyond us and we want to lead by example for these kids we want to be be great citizens and be great role models and we want the parents to see that as well like yeah we're going to coach your kids tough but at the same time we always hold their best interests now if if i can jump in real quick uh dietrich i've had the privilege to know you for a long long time and you know not just that but i i know the coaches that have coached you you know when you were you know when i was at when i was at st francis and you were coming in and some of those coaches that were with you in pop warner you know they came up and i got to know them and, and they were quality coaches you know you know they you you had some you had some 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 really good people to 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 mentor you to shape you so to speak and not everybody had that you know they didn't not all not not a lot of kids had that i was one of those kids that didn't have that in high school um, you know, I, again, we're going to save that for the episode on grievances. Um, but you know, from what I heard you say a couple minutes ago, if I can backtrack for a second, uh, your interaction with your players, you're using that as teachable moments, right. To where a student misses, uh, not a student. So, uh, um, one of your players makes a mistake and you pull them aside, you take them out of the game. You're not barking on him while he's on the field. You're not humiliating him in front of his parents. You're pulling him inside one-on-one, you know, you and him. You're telling him what he did wrong. You're letting another kid, another student, another another player perform. And now he gets to go back out, okay? You know, there there's no coaching certification that qualifies everybody. You know, um, some people... You know, they, they, they're, they're like sponges. It's like coaches are like parents and the players are like kids. Yep. You know, you're going to emulate the people that taught you. And, you know, that's, it, it's not the same for everybody. And I'm glad it happened to you, you know, cause I can, I know some of the students that you're coaching now and some of their parents and, you know, they, they speak the world of you, you know, so keep it up, man. Good Thank for you. Thank you. I just want the kids, most importantly, not every kid's going to go on and become a division one prospect, but at the end of the day, I want them to have fun. Yes. With their peers, with us. I wanted to, and at the end of the day, it's, I want to make sure that it's, because at the end of the day, it's word of mouth. So I want everyone to continue to have a positive experience, not only with myself, but with my staff. And we want them to continue to come back because absolutely, they're going to, at the end of the day, the product speaks for itself. And we, we want to make sure that we're we're developing great young men. So outside of football, when they go into the classrooms, they're going into other sports, and guess what? They're able to learn from the, the teachable moments that we're implementing here, you know, on the field with us. Yeah, you're you're doing fantastic, son. You really are. And you. yeah, just yeah, I like, keep it up. I like the fact that you're saying uh, the most important thing is not necessarily the wins and the losses but the development of the player the development of the young man into who he will become which is i know what many of the coaches you dealt with 
that's what their their goal was for you and you don't hear that you don't see that a lot anymore um which is fantastic i mean it, that's how people become better that's how they become you know men outside of athletics i mean nowadays you know unfortunately and we'll talk about what happened to you in just a minute um now you're a successful uh in the business realm you know unfortunately athletics was not your end game as much as uh all of us were hoping for you but how did what some of these coaches that made a difference in your life help you develop into the person you are now that's the beauty of football and sports because you really learn so much from it like i said dealing with adversity being relentless being persistent and being able to take on things with you know with the right mindset and your preparation and it's helped me it's helped translate and you know mold me into the man i am today and you know become you know, successful in the business world and also being able to work with, you know, different people. And that's, that's teamwork. You know, we all have the same common objective and goals in order for things to get, you know, in order for things to get achieved, we all have to be on the same page and not a different chapter. And um, it just made me become so much more appreciative of all the life lessons I learned in football. So I just want to continue to just, you know, use those tools and continue to just, you know, hit the ground running and just continue to be the best version of myself daily. And we know you use those tools to model for a while. Uh, you did that for several years. Mm -hmm. uh, now you're a uh, 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 real estate broker in the Beverly Hills area, um, doing very well for yourself. I'm sure mom's proud of you. Uh, haven't seen her in a while. So please tell her I said hello. But thinking back and going back to that one day that did change everything in the direction of uh, what would be your future, uh, that game, that unfortunate hit that caused basically the same injury that Peyton Manning had. And as a defender who has to swivel and look and see, um, that must have been really not just physically difficult, but mentally difficult to deal with. Um, you know, I, I know personally, you're not my kid, you're not my son, but like you said, we take care of our, our athletes as if they are sometimes. Yeah. And when I started getting the phone calls of what happened, because I'll be honest, I wasn't watching the game at the moment. Um, I flipped on and I, I couldn't, I couldn't leave to get to you quick enough. And I realized that's not my gig. That's not my job. This is, this is the medical staff there. This is the coaching staff there. This is your mom. Knowing yes. your mom, I, I could only imagine. But um, at that moment and the unfortunate, and as you said, it, it was a complete accident. We've talked about it so many times. Mm -hmm. um, what role did those coaches and that athletic training staff and your family uh, play for you in that in that pivotal moment in time over the course of those next couple of weeks also? Man, it was when it, the injury at first occurred and hats goes off to the, the UCLA medical staff and, you know, even yourself, everyone in the medical field, 
to be able to have composure and to keep the athlete relaxed as if as if everything is fine that's something you undermine and you really don't think too deeply of and i just remember you know they weren't yelling at me they were just keeping me like hey don't move keep your you know keep your arm no hold here do this don't move like they weren't yelling at me like because if they would have yelled at me that probably made me more like likely to be you know more tense than unsettled in that in that episode so the medical staff like i said they were just asking me the basic asking me questions they were you know keeping me in you know in the positions that needed to be in the safe the safely protocol but they literally were they they made it they made it seamless man and um like i said if they would have panicked knowing the severity of the injury that would have made i don't know how i would have re reacted and how things could have gone i don't know but um everyone was so everyone was on the same page man and i just you know when i got to the hospital we did all the you know x-rays mris ct scans all that stuff you name it but um yeah man it was like everyone and just even the like you said the next day and stuff like that there was no physical activity it was just make, making sure that we were able to diagnose the issue and um we were able we were all able to do that and stuff and just kind of figure out a plan to implement in order to go forward and see what was the best interest for me at hand you know and what my future was going to determine but like i said man hats off to any like i said yourself the medical you know you said the medical staff anyone that is in that field to be able to just think about the athlete but at the same time thinking about their emotions and how they could be processing you know that uh that accident yeah i know personally uh any of us that go through that situation um it, it's personal yeah. i mean be honest and i would presume that the coaches that were there it was personal to them because you're one of their kids mm -hmm. you are at that moment in time uh part of their family as you kept saying sure. and you know you've got a family member down everybody i hate to say the term rallies around you but they do um because that's all you can do you only have so many so many things you can do in that situation medically i know all we want to do is make sure a you're alive b you're not a spinal cord injury you know so we're doing all the spine board and we're doing all the carrying off we're getting you to that hospital and I, I i mean we've talked about it multiple times i know what you went through with that cervical fracture um and the first time i saw you i almost lost it you know seeing you in, when you walked into the gym wearing that collar and uh you know to see you walk was uh, a huge relief because not knowing when you were get carted cart, cart off that field, what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But um, knowing how strong your tie with your mom is, knowing that she was probably right there as quickly as she could be, whether that was at the hospital or or uh, um, taking you to doctors, the doctors for uh, follow-up, um, having a team around you, uh, coaching staff, teammates, family, friends, how did that make a difference at that, at that point in time for you? And that, that's why I made my decisions to stay home, you know, cause imagine if I would have had that injury, God forbid, 
elsewhere, you know, in a different state and my, my family not being there for me, then guess what? They have to hop on the plane and try and get to me in the, you know, in a quickly manner of time. But that's what kept me, you know, in the right state of mind. And that's what kept me grounded because I was at, like I said, one of the lowest points of my life going through that and just uncertainty because I just I'm just being told that I'm lucky to be alive or lucky I'm not, you know, my, you know, I'm not my brain isn't a noodle. I'm sure that uh, scared the living bejesus oh out of you at that point too. I, that right? was this was the this was the following day, and like I'm used, I'm just thinking I'm going in. Or sorry, two days later, because you know the game was Saturday, Sunday. You know I got released Saturday night. Went to you know went to you know the facility on Sunday. I mean, everyone was able to see me. Everyone was all good and everything. But then that Monday, I'm just thinking, okay, this probably was a you know, probably a uh, stinger because I still had a little bit of burning sensation in my arm. So I'm thinking, all right, maybe, maybe it would have been a little a, a stinger. But then when they're able to really, you know, show me the severity of the injury, I didn't know how to process that. I'm like, all right, now I'm being told I can't play football ever again. I'm like, all right, this is hasn't, hasn't even been a week yet. It hasn't even been a month. And I'm just being told this, you know, but being able to have the right people in my circle looking out for me because, you know, I'm, I was, you know, as silly as I was, I was trying to make a return to play. You know, I, I remember, I remember that. I remember I seeing time. it in the times. Yeah. So I did all the consultations, you know, the injury happened in October. I took time off and guess what? I was back running with the team in January. I was running. So they, I was lifting weights heavyweight but they i wasn't doing anything above my head so they made sure to like okay you could do curls you could do all the uh i believe i was doing like a lot of lunges stuff like that tricep work back work but there was never anything overhead never I, i presume the strength conditioning coach was overseeing this making sure monitoring you athletic training staff at ucla all making sure that you were doing it right good form 100 protecting protecting you yeah yeah and i was having an outstanding condition i was like in shape still running i mean like i was doing well and then it was like okay we're dragging this along what is your decision what are you going to be doing and i was just so scared when i was being told that that you know one i'm going to need to have surgery for a better living of life but being told that they're going to go through the front of my my neck I'm scared. I'm like, all right, I'm kind of trying to drag this on as long as possible. And finally, we're like, okay, we need to get this over with. We've had all the consultations. I ended up having the surgery in April. Mind you, the sur- the injury was in October of the previous year. So I just wanted to make sure I was going to be at peace with my decision and knowing that, okay, I'm going to be doing this. But every every surgeon I'm talking to, I'm like, do I get a chance to play again? So I'm being told that I could play again from my surgeon. I ended up doing it, and it was a, an outstanding surgeon, uh, outstanding operation. It was seamless, and I recovered within a month, which is usually nine to ten months if you're using your own bone and not a cadaver. And that was another thing. It was funny. I don't know if I ever told you, this, Coach, but when I'm on the, the surgery table, they're asking me, like, okay, so are you going to do a cadaver or are you going to do your own bone? Pros and cons of each. 
And I'm like, well, I didn't really think of this. You guys are hitting me with this information now. Like, I'm kind of scared. I don't know. So then UCLA, the UCLA doctor stepped in, our, you know, our football medical, our football doctor, he stepped in and he told the, the physician, no, we're using our, we're using our own bone. Trust me, you'll thank me. You'll thank me later. And he walked out. Got that's it done. Fa- that's fantastic. That's, yeah, because I, mean, I literally would have somebody. Yeah, that, that having a guy like that in your corner at that point in time is like having a coach yeah. that yeah, you can was, trust right yeah, there. It was, it was my mother and my grandmother, and we're just like, all right, we don't know what what to do. So imagine if he wasn't in that room, we probably would have said a cadaver. I don't know. Right. And that could have been a whole different recovery. Like I said, I used my own bone. I recovered within a month. But yeah, man, my family, everything we had, we had all the great resources that we needed and it kept us made everything smooth. That's fantastic. Uh, Joel and, and Gabriel wanted to apologize. They had to step out. Um, so they probably won't be able to come back for the next, uh, God, it's almost been an hour already and it goes by quick. Um, you know, We've talked about a lot about that injury over the years, and I, I'm just grateful that it turned out the way it did. Uh, personally, because you know I've I've got to watch you grow up even more since. Would have been horrific the other way. Um, I could only imagine, and don't want to imagine what it could have been. Um, you know, seeing you and how you've been able to succeed moving forward in your life has been uh, a fun thing for me, and I know all the people around here that. I work with that have watched you grow up um now bringing it full circle coming back you said you never thought you'd be a coach you never thought you'd be uh uh dipping your toe in there and having fun and flying around and teaching the next generation uh what you love to do um if you could give advice to someone that wants to be a coach or is thinking about being a coach and really isn't sure what would it take for them to become the coach that you want to be? A couple of things, find your niche, find your niche, whether it is, you know, whatever field of athletics it may be, find your niche and what makes you happy. Cause if you're happy, and this is what you're passionate about, it's more than just coaching. You're just out there having fun and you're teaching. Most importantly, understand what you're teaching. Be confident in what you're teaching because guess what? These kids nowadays, they are smart. They sense if if it's authentic or if it is fabricated just because there's cameras out there and whatnot. Yeah. They're, they're quick at that. They're, they're quick. nowadays they they're it. real quick. They yep. sense it. And that's what these play that's what these these players are are gravitating towards. They want someone that is gonna push them at the same time, have, make it fun. So for anyone that's considering coaching out there, like I said, it just, you, you must be able to be comfortable in any environment and be able to lead people. And like I said, people lead in different ways. People lead by, you know, by example, some people lead by, you know, giving instructions and information, but, you know, just have a great group around you because when you're able to surround yourself with other like-minded individuals and great coaches as well, you're able to learn from them and pick information from them. And guess what? You're able to put that into your realm of things and you're able to do great things with it. So surround yourself with a great staff and a great team. And that makes it easier because teamwork makes a dream work. That's awesome. 
also think going back to one thing you said earlier, not just focusing on uh, the sport, but developing that young man or young woman into uh, uh, who they should be. I, I think you bring that all together. You, you're the perfect coach at that point. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we'll see more of those perfect coaches out there. They're far and few between, as you and I know. We've we've worked with them, we've played for them, but we're not always that uh, fortunate, and we see the other end of the spectrum far too often. Absolutely. So uh, we've taken plenty of your time, buddy. I appreciate you coming in and talking to us on the podcast. Um, I'm gonna let you go get on your day and uh, uh, be the businessman that you are nowadays. Um, I want to thank you for joining us at Wrap It Up Sports Medicine and More. Uh, for our first podcast and yeah hopefully we'll have you back because a uh, good friend of ours and you know you have a very unique perspective on so much in athletics and coaching uh, we appreciate it appreciate you for having me look forward yeah. to it next time thanks a lot Dietrich have a great day buddy all right coach we'll talk to you later cheers We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you did, check back in a few weeks for our next episode. Wrap It Up Sports Medicine and More is directed by Eli Howell. It is produced by Gabriel Howell. Our theme music is by Comma Studios via Pixabay. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the contributors. The views and the opinions do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the contributors' employers, unless stated as so. Want to know more about us? Visit us at wrapituppodcast.com. Again, wrapituppodcast.com. Wrap It Up Sports Medicine and More is a production of Hallett Consulting, LLC.